0: Dead characters do not yield spin-offs.
1: On a scale of one to five sexist surgery machines. You and are the Yoda of abdominal tumors. This is serious business.
2: Greetings, Lucasfilm has buried the extended universe, and convention season is on the way, and this is serious business. I am Jeff, your host for this week's episode, and tonight, tonight, it's a broadcast. Broadcast.
0: Bro-cast. 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 Dudes,
2: bros, bro-cast. Brofish. fist <laughs> uh. I am still slightly sick. Still just a little. So I may end up coughing in this episode again. Those of you who listened to the last one, thank you for... Kristen did a wonderful job editing my horrible, horrible illness away. <laughs> but yeah, starting off, we've got John. John, how's it going? Hey.
0: Yo. Doing well, Jeff. Doing Glad well. to
2: hear it. Glad to hear it. Um, you know, I didn't really think of a good question for this one, but I guess... Uh, if you could have any weapon in Star Wars, but in real life, like oh, you're not on. in the Star Wars universe, you're just in your regular life, but you can pull one weapon out of that universe. What would it be, and why?
0: Oh, come on, it's a lightsaber. A lightsaber? <laughs> really? I mean, what? Else? I mean, a blaster would be cool, but I really don't find the need to shoot at anything. Yeah,
2: but you know what beats a lightsaber? Like a regular gun. <laughs> nobody, nobody seemed to figure that out in Star Wars.
0: Well, I don't usually come across a lot of gunfire that's either. True. That's a good. Point. So that's all right. That's fair. Um, and I would imagine if a guy had a gun and you whip out a lightsaber, I mean, they would just be frozen with shock. I mean, how could you effectively fire a gun if a, if a guy comes at you with a lightsaber?
2: That is a fair point. I will give you that. I think any mugger would probably. They would just be impressed.
0: (laughs) What the fuck? Is that a lightsaber?
2: (laughs) (sighs) All right, John, what, if anything, are you drinking this fine evening?
0: I am drinking my first love of beers since it is springtime and it's a full season early. Sam Adams Summer Ale. Nice. Yes.
2: Yeah, it's warming up. Very enjoyable. Getting there. So moving on, we got Rob, the second piece in the bro Triforce. Rob, how's it going? The second piece? Yes. Yes.
0: You're number I two. Rob.
1: I want to be the main piece.
2: <laughs> well the second piece like might be the top piece. Hmm. Mm. It's open I don't know. to interpretation. <sighs> first these... is the worst, second is the best.
1: True, <laughs> I didn't think of that. Yeah. <laughs> Did not think of that.
2: Uh so how's it going, Rob?
1: Uh I'm I'm well. I'm well,
2: well, glad to hear yeah. it. glad to hear it. Good. So Rob, if you could pull any weapon out of the Star Wars universe into your actual life. Yeah. What would it be?
1: Well, I mean, there's no question. I would pull the ultimate weapon. And I would pull the Death Star. Wow. I want it all.
2: It's the ultimate weapon, but it's it's got that one pesky weakness.
1: Uh, you know what? I'm not worried about that.
2: Mm. I don't know. I mean, I I really wouldn't want a giant battle station that could die to one single shot in any way. Can you imagine well, the
0: taxes on that thing?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Well, we never mentioned that. I
1: don't want to get into taxes. <laughs> That's true. Logistically, that would be a very difficult piece of John, hardware to own. John and I have well, been so any concerned about be... taxes lately. <laughs> Fictional taxes. Um, I do like the idea of having like this sort of floating space city to myself that also has like a giant green laser mounted on its hood and can destroy planets.
2: Yeah, but you know, again, if we're pulling it into real life. I don't you'd have uh, no crew. it'd be just you, and you wouldn't really <laughs> have a way to get to and from it.
1: maybe I'd hire maybe I'd hire a crew
2: that's true. I guess if you...
1: with money maybe I, sure. maybe I'd rent maybe I'd rent some of it out and use that revenue. You could talk to, to uh, sort of fund a, a skeleton crew
2: Richard Branson and, uh, or uh, Elon Musk get those guys I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure they would be all about having space on the Death Star so. yeah
1: I mean. It's only a matter of time, really.
2: Yeah, that's true. So uh, what, if anything, are you drinking this fine evening, Rob?
1: Uh, I'm drinking a little whiskey and ginger ale this evening.
2: That's Mm, that's a nice classic mix. I like that one. Yeah, it's good. All right, let's see. So what would I pull out? It's tough because I'm not sure how a blaster actually... Like, what sort of ammunition or energy is required for a blaster to work. But I probably would get a blaster. And I would I would want it very specifically to make that noise that they make. Totally. And, you know, no matter what I shot, if it were mechanical, it would either explode or burn. Whether it was a door
0: totally. or
2: yeah, anything. So, yeah, I would be all about that. And I am drinking a line and Kugel Summer Shandy.
0: Oh, I got one of those in the fridge, mm-hmm. too. Yep. might have one of those after.
2: Uh, You know, maybe they have lemon in them, and that might be good for uh, Mm. getting over this this pesky cough that I still have.
0: Now, (laughs) let me ask you, are you drinking that out of a can or a bottle? A
2: can. Ah, excellent.
0: I think they're better, definitely better than a can. Yeah,
2: there's something (laughs) visceral about the can.
1: I thought about the Shandy earlier today. and must pick some up.
2: Mm. Uh, That's a good one. It is. So, to start the show, Lucasfilm recently released a statement regarding the extended universe, which has been built up by writers of all shapes and sizes over the past four, 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 almost five decades? No, four. Four decades. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, it's been evolving forever, and, uh, you know, in conjunction with their statement, they released a video, which uh, we we took a quick peek at. Uh, So we're going to play a little bit of that for you right now.
0: We now have a story department, so that there truly can be one consistent narrative, and that's always been the dream.
2: I think the idea of aligning the content is actually a really fantastic and exciting opportunity that no other fictional universe could really even support. We're going to be able
0: to bring fans a a unified vision in a way that we've never done before.
2: Yay! We love Star Wars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Star Wars is so great. I, know, I, I just I remember the first comic I ever got it was really nice. Uh, it had uh, you know Han Solo and Chewie.
1: We didn't, Chewie. We didn't know that uh, Jeff has secretly been been writing S- Star Wars novels for the past four decades.
2: It's true. All yeah. of that extended universe stuff—that was all me. <laughs> it was this guy. <laughs> so the gist of it is that Lucasfilm is basically saying, while we love the extended universe and appreciate it, we're pretty much ignoring all the stuff that is supposed to happen after the original movies for the sake of having full creative license to continue the story as we see fit at this point. Which, understandably, has some people who really invested in the extended universe stuff a little bit peeved. I'm going to see their side of it, but... Uh, you know, let's start with Rob. Rob, what what's what's your take on Lucasfilm's decision and uh...
1: I don't I actually started and immediately stopped myself from getting into a like Facebook comment debate about this because someone that's how I learned good about it. Someone someone posted it on Facebook and I was like, Ugh, good riddance to all that stuff and of course I was met with resistance and I was like, you know what? I don't have to plea my case on Facebook. <laughs> but um well, plead it now, Rob. Uh, yeah, plead it now. We're doing it on a podcast. So, I mean, I've read, I grew up reading a lot of that stuff. Comics, games, the books. And, like, they were fine at the time. They're sort of fun. But honestly, I don't I don't understand what the big deal is. Not, not a lot of it felt like Star Wars to me. It feels like sort of baby boomer revisionism or making it sort of more quote unquote mature or gritty, uh, as they got older, sort of wish fulfillment as you know, as, as they got older and weren't kids anymore. And also there's another level of absurdity to all this because Lucasfilm is saying, Okay, you know, all that stuff that never happened, oh, it actually never happened on <laughs> this other like weird level. And it's like what what are we even talking about? And honestly, Lucasfilm has never given a shit about extended the extended universe. There was no statement like this when episode one came out and that caused a ton of like retcon stuff to happen with the novels and all that. So I don't know. It's basically extended universe is like farmed out fan fiction that is just sort of raked in for merchandising reasons. It's not I don't I don't feel like it's like hallowed or true. I just think it's if you have an interest for it, it's there. Some of it is is great. A lot of it is not. And the fact that, like, a corporation is coming out and making this video and saying, like, hey, all this fictional stuff never really happened, and we're going to make some more movies. And uh, I I just don't understand why they even made the statement. I don't remember Lucasfilm ever making that statement when George was in charge. He just made the prequels and didn't give a fuck.
2: That's true. I mean, it does, you're right, it represents some engagement that was not previously present. I think he never gave a fuck is a pretty good way of describing George Lucas. Well, um,
0: I think part of that reason that, that, like, now, I think, now when they're going to do, you know, episode 7, 8, and 9, now they're going to be treading over a lot more stuff than there was to tread over when, like, episode 1 happened. And I think they want to make it clear to everybody that, like, don't expect us to be faithful to... Splinters of the mind, you know, or whatever, yeah. like whatever little <laughs> minor novel. Because yeah. I mean, like, right. if you think about it. Over the, you know, between right after, you know, the early '80s, right after Return of the Jedi, up until now, and you think of the sheer magnitude of novels and comics and everything that that have told stories after that. I mean. You can't expect you can't expect Lucasfilm or any filmmaker that's making movies or television shows or whatever to have to follow that. So I think it makes total sense that they're making that statement. Yeah, I just I'm with John.
1: I I think it it makes it is almost more bizarre that Disney slash Lucasfilm like is announcing this because I wouldn't even expect the announcement because I would just think that we're just going to steamroll over whatever like you know, paperback collection anyone has collecting dust somewhere. I, I, I just don't, I don't know. I, I'm having trouble like relating to people who who have that, that paperback collection are like, oh, it, this, this is actually part of like my enjoyment of this franchise because, I don't know, it's just, if you read any of it, just so much of it is like so divorced from any of the movies in terms Whoa. of tone in quality.
0: I felt this a little bit when DC did the new 52 where like it's that same sentiment where you know the idea of erasing continuity not even erasing it but like sort of changing continuity that that somehow erases all the story like it negates all the, the the stories and everything, you know, every great story that was told is somehow undone when it's not like if you you know, if you like reading Star Wars novels, you can still go out and read Star Wars novels. It's just not going to relate in the same right. well, way. Well, I mean, like, you can still enjoy those things the same way. It's just that, you know, okay, you know, this minor event didn't happen... Right. Well, I think... ...in it, this parallel universe or whatever, you know, like...
1: What you're saying just, with the New 52 is that it's always been comic books. Like, that is their medium. And I think, yeah. like... Unless you're buying a movie ticket or a Blu-ray or a DVD that says Star Wars on it, everything else is just supplemental and sort of incidental to the fact that it's this monstrously successful franchise. Like, the only true article are the films, and everything else is just, like, time killer sort of material.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll, uh, I'll agree generally, I think broadly, because one of the worst things that a writer can do, in my view, is get pigeonholed into adhering to something that they don't actually care for when they're given charge of a franchise. I mean, you can look at a lot of mainstream examples of where that's happened and it's failed. Spider-Man 3 comes to mind where, you know, there's just all this pressure for Sam Raimi to throw Venom in there, and he ends up making a really bad movie out of it that's just a kind of a hot mess. I think... It does make a lot of sense for them to do this, frankly. I didn't read too much Extended Universe stuff, but my brother did. He was a big fan of it all. I will talk to him and sort of see how he feels about it. I remember little bits and pieces of it, and it was pretty cool. Like, I remember once they came up with some alien concept. They called them the Yuzhong Vong or something, and they <laughs> were they were kind of insectoid, and they were just completely immune to the Force. Oh, And that made them like a fascinating adversary for this kind of, you know, there were the remnants of the Empire still around. And then obviously the Rebel Alliance had become like the, the, you know, the Alliance or I don't remember what they were calling themselves at that point. The Federation of Planets. Uh, No, there was a neat dynamic there that I do appreciate the creativity of. So, yeah, I mean, even though I, I can see people being attached to the extended universe, it's definitely the right decision. It's just there's there's not much else for me to say do you guys have a favorite extended universe thing
0: john
1: uh <laughs> i'll go i'll go first. I,
0: I mean i think the only the only extended universe thing i've ever read is this comic book i think it was a series like just like a, a sh- like a mini series like a few issues it was a comic book series from like maybe 2001 2002 it was about han and chewy and lando and i think they were mixed up with some of the other bounty hunters from the movies and they, they were it was something about bounty hunters or smuggling or something um i don't really re- i mean i couldn't really tell you what the story was about but <laughs> that is the only thing from the extended universe that i've read so i will say that comic book series
1: John miraculously describes, like, 70% of the extended universe material <laughs> with, that, with that description. I, if I had to pick one thing that I liked a lot, and I know I just talked about a Boba Fett comic book on the People blog recently, but I'll leave that there. But uh, I would say that Shadows of the Empire wasn't bad. It takes place in between Empire and Jedi and it's basically about an attempt to get Han back as he's frozen in carbonite before he reaches Jabba's palace. There's, like, a cool villain. His name is Prince Shizor. I think that's how you say it. And he's, like, this lizard guy. I think he owns, like, a trade federation-type corporate. He's very rich or something. I don't really quite remember. And then there's, like... Here's a problem with, like, the extended universe. Because, like, Han is gone, they, like, put in this... This other sort of, this like, badass... Han. Yeah, this other Han is called Dash Rendar, who we barely get to know and we have to kill off at the end of the story because Han's coming back. So, because they have to fit movies and fit what the movies are actually doing, there's a lot of unsatisfying storytelling that's going on in the uh, extended universe. So, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I think that that was maybe the strongest of the stories. It felt Star Wars ish. I also like the Thrawn trilogy, but I won't, I won't, I won't, uh, Keep us going forever here, but uh, Shadows of the Empire, I think, is in. If yeah. you're interested, yeah.
2: yeah, you know, it was it was also a great Nintendo 64 game, if I remember correctly. It's one of, one of the first ones, it was Shadows of the Empire, and you played Dash Rendar throughout uh, all of those. Those levels. All right. Well, I think I think there's just general consensus that we understand what Lucasfilm is doing, and you know maybe we're not all as cynical about the extended universe as Rob was, but I I can't say I'm gonna shed too many tears to see it go. It's been a long time for me since I've seen any of it. So yeah. Uh, all right. So on that note, we're gonna take a refill break, and then when we get back, we are gonna talk about conventions. So we will be our beat. Woo. I still have my very first Star Wars comic book, which happens to be the very first Star Wars comic book.
0: My first exposure to the EU was probably one of the Brian Daly books. I think it was Han Solo and the Lost Legacy. It was the one with the glowing crystal skull thing on the cover. The first EU story that I ever read was Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Near the end, there's this great scene where Princess Leia confronts Darth Vader with a lightsaber, and so that just blew my mind.
2: And we're back! So I said at the beginning of this episode that convention season is starting, I guess broadly by that I meant summer. I mean, in general, conventions are happening throughout the year now. You know, there there are several big ones that do occur in the summer, like San Diego Comic-Con. Towards the end of summer you got, like, PAX Prime. But then, you know, in the movie world, Sundance is a winter thing, and I think every major city at this point has a Comic-Con it's fair to say. You know, Chicago, New York, Boston, and those really just end up happening throughout the year. I think they try intentionally to stagger them so that uh, it doesn't get too ridiculous. But all that said, conventions have been, at least the mainstream ones, uh, E3 included for video gamers out there, feels like they've been changing an awful lot lately. You know, part of it, I think, is the consequence of success, but Comic-Con, for instance, has a significantly large component that isn't really about comics. Likewise, Sundance, I think, has been inviting in several mainstream productions of late. So I guess I'll I'll start off by asking just, what have you guys all been to? What's your general impressions of the the conventions you've gone to? And I'll start with John on that one, because, John, I know you've been to conventions as both an attendee and as a uh, presenter of sorts. So, John, tell, tell us a little bit about that.
0: It's typically a crazy scene, man. I think the I've I've been to San Diego Comic Con and Boston Comic Con. Boston Comic Con was my first comic book convention. I, I think the first time I went to that was 2008 or 2009. And at that point, it was just basically in the basement of a smaller exhibition center in boston and it it was like one of those things where it was like in the the basement of a hotel almost Mm -hmm. so it was very small you know there was some comic book vendors and then there was a relatively small like a little room where uh you know artists and industry professionals would be and then each year it It got bigger and bigger and bigger, and then it moved into bigger and bigger venues. It was at the Heinz Convention Center the last few years, and now... This past year and this coming year in 2014, it's at the Boston Convention Exhibition Center, which is like a ridiculously huge convention center. And, you know, there's panels and there's celebrities getting more numerous and, you know, they're getting bigger and bigger names and the artist alley is growing and there's panels and all this stuff. And that's sort of, a microcosm of, you know, what's happened in San Diego and then Chicago Comic-Con, Atlantic Comic-Con, Dallas, and, you know, like, just all over the country, comic book conventions are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, San Diego is the the big, big one that everyone hears about, that big movie stars and television stars go to. But it's really something that's happening all over the place. Comic book conventions are becoming more and more mainstream, whereas, you know, before it was just it was all about comics. Now it's becoming... About television shows and movies, and I think basically the reason that that happened was you've got certain sci-fi or comic book related television shows and movies that say, "Hey, there's this there's this demographic over here that we could tap into," and then you know once that door opens, then you get just more mainstream television shows like Glee, you know, appears at it's San Diego, and then also animation. So, like, Family Guy people and South Park people and mm-hmm. Bob's Burgers. So, it, it's basically, now, it, it's just pop culture. It's it's a pop culture convention. You know, comics still definitely have their place in them, but it's basically all about pop culture.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about that. And, you know, obviously, my investment in it extends to simply, would I enjoy attending a convention like that or not? But, Rob, what about you? I mean, you've never been to a Comic-Con, right? Or have you been to the Boston one?
1: I've been to the Boston one. Oh. It's weird. John actually reminded me at the beginning of his his story there. My father used to bring me to comic book conventions, quote-unquote, uh, growing up. And they would be, like, in a, like a Knights of Columbus hall <laughs> or something. And there would be just, like, a place where, like, big collectors and comic shops from around New England would just, like, send a rep with, like, boxes and boxes of stuff to sell. And occasionally there would be an artist or something, not a big one, nor would I have known if they were a big one at that time. I was too young. But it's certainly grown into, like, much bigger business now. I, I did go to the Boston one with John, actually, once, and that was cool. We saw Mike McNola speak, which was awesome. That was the highlight. The rest of it is sort of... I don't know. Makes me vaguely uncomfortable. I, uh, conventions are weird. I went to an X Files convention when I was young as well, because I was super into X Files. Mm-hmm. And there's something about physically confronting other people who like the same thing mm-hmm. as much as you do, and realizing that maybe they like it for like different reasons, and mm-hmm. that makes me uncomfortable. That's a turnoff for me. And I can see that. Conventions seem to be at least on that level where where it's about fans coming together there's something about that that turns me off is ironically off-putting yeah it's ironically off-putting and it, the internet seems to like filter that out for some reason like if you're doing it on screen and like there's like a forum. threads yeah when it's organized in in some kind of way then it, it's fine cuz you can sort of peck at the things that you know that you have something to say about the things that interest you about a particular show or title or whatever Mm-hmm. But like in a convention, when you're all smashed together, it's a little more off-putting. I experienced that at the X-Files when I was when I was very young. I experienced that a little bit when I went with John to the Boston one. I don't know. I, I, I find myself receding into my hermit crab shell uh, <laughs> where I just was like, well, I like this thing and I sort of want to leave here and continue to enjoy it by myself <laughs> and like occasionally talk about it on the internet, but not really. And just, uh, that's about it. Yeah, there's something about, like, the overt celebration of something that, I don't know, is personal to you in some way. And I don't people know. get it, really into it. Yeah, that too. Like, <laughs> all, the, all the costumes and stuff. And, I don't know, people just wear it so hard on their sleeve. Sometimes literally, but other times it's just like, man, life and death. I don't it's weird, it's a weird place to be. I don't, it, it sounds like what John's describing san diego has become like totally like assimilated into corporate and media interests but at boston and and you know like i said that x thing i went to like it just it just feels weird it feels weird to be dipped into that same physical space with these people i don't know
0: so so rob take your experience at boston comic-con a couple years ago mm-hmm. multiply that by about 10 and you're at san diego comic-con I don't think I could deal with
1: that. I don't. Th- I don't think I could. Well, I find myself walking down like the aisles of vendors and artists and stuff, and then I'm like, I see like people in costume like gathering at the end of the aisle, and then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna back up this aisle, so I don't have to like pass through. Like I'm doing this weird neurotic yeah. thing where I'm avoiding people, and that's I don't want to be that person I don't want to yeah. be the weirdo among the weirdos like i, I want to be i want to be the enthusiastic person like high-fiving these people but there's something about this environment that just that just is like nails on a chalkboard to well me. you gotta I, it, you
2: gotta you gotta like the costumes i mean come on uh that's 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 one thing that whenever i go to a convention and granted pretty much the only convention i go to is pax east when i see people in costume i am like tempted to high-five them but i do also understand exactly what you're saying rob because I think when you go to a convention for, a, or or even a portion of a convention that's devoted to a specific thing, mm-hmm. it really separates in your mind the difference between admiring something and loving it. Yeah. Um, like most of the things I talk about here, I I admire. There are very few things that I am fully invested to say like I love that show or that thing like. Doctor Who. I admire the living crap out of Doctor Who. I do not love <laughs> Doctor Who. If yeah. I were to go to a Doctor Who convention and be surrounded by people who love Doctor Who, I mm. would be like, I can't, I can't get into this the way you're getting into it. I just can't <laughs> I not relate you. to your enthusiasm. Like, it is...
1: See... I'm going to disagree with you a little bit here. Oh, yeah? This is, like, the lamest metaphor to use. But let's say you have a girlfriend, this theoretical girlfriend, mm-hmm. and you really like her. And then suddenly you're, like, dropped into, like, a convention where, like, everybody likes your girlfriend this much. And you're, like, you're walking around and you're, like, w- really? and And they're, like, dressing up as her and, like really enthused about like maybe aspects of her that like you find superficial or not really a big deal and you're like man I-, I thought i thought i i thought i liked this person like very deeply in a way that suited me and then like everybody is just cheering for your girlfriend <laughs> so, do you know what i mean I, this is a really bad analogy but no, I
0: think uh, I'm you, you mean like that. if I your girlfriend dresses up as a Character? No, 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 no. I no, mean, no, like, no, no, she no. is she like is the.
1: the it's like a convention yeah. for fans of your girlfriend. Oh, okay. I see. <laughs> girl,
2: so, girl, girl con
1: or boyfriend <laughs> for people. Uh, I yep. mean, let's. It, it she, doesn't matter. Another con. Yeah, it doesn't matter what the what the gender is. Just like something that you you hold dear to your to yourself and that you enjoy. And like maybe you have like close friends like us who talk about things that we 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 like and uh, have deep discussions about them but then when it's when i don't know when when we're in that like public space with people that you don't know and that they seem to be coming at it from different angles and in costumes and 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 sword in the air unabashedly not embarrassing themselves but just putting them out there
0: yeah
1: themselves out there. there is part of it that just makes my skin crawl a little bit i'm like oh man i i just kind of want to go back and like talk to my friends on the internet. No, man, I
2: will no, I'll, I'll get real here. I'll get real here. I go think, ahead. I think you may be seeing the parts of yourself that you might be slightly ashamed of in these. People. <laughs> I'm just going gonna, gonna to go there. I'm going to go there and say it. Because I sort of used to feel that way, too. And then I just... I, I told myself to just be a bit more laid back about it. And the moment I did that, it was like, boom. It was like, instead of seeing that person in a costume and being like, really, guy? really you're gonna dress up like the you know like i'm not
1: i'm not looking down on anyone who's doing like cosplay or anything like that's your thing and you know what i've seen pictures of cosplay that look at really cool like people get really into it and it looks like super legit and i'm like wow that's pretty cool it's awesome good for them it's like great photo opportunity there's something about that level of fervor for something, and I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm more of an introvert. Like I don't get like the the extrovert sort of expression mm-hmm. of, of the of the the affection that you have for this, you know, this thing, whatever it be, a, a comic or a movie or a television show, whatever the case may be. And it's all uh, it's just all celebrating like properties. <laughs> You know, in franchises, and and, you know what I mean, like trademark stuff. And it's just like, that's a whole nother level of taking yourself out of that space and being like, man, this is like a weird time that we're living in.
0: (laughs) Well, I think part of the thing with cosplaying and being sort of that extrovert is that, like, when it comes to that stuff, like, when, when people, I mean, people get into the cosplaying, like, that's a hobby, you know, like making yeah, sure. mm-hmm. making those costumes. That is their, you know, like some of us, some of us draw, some of us write things, some of us make video games or build websites as a hobby, you know, that we do. And cosplaying is, I mean, the hours and the an energy. Hour. Oh my god! You course into these things.
1: You're but, right. I mean, like and once re-
0: they once they're there and, like, once they, you know, they put their costume together and they go to the convention, you know, it's a whole... They, they become that character and people, you know, like, if you make a really good costume of, you know, it doesn't really matter what it is. Mm-hmm. If it's a really good costume, you are treated like you are that character. Oh, yeah. So it, make, it basically makes you, like, a celebrity in this convention context where people are like, hey, Mario... Batman, Joker, (laughs) whatever it is, like, they want to take your picture with you. Uh And, you know, these could be people that are very much introverts, otherwise, you know, like, outside of this convention. Sure, Um, sure. Sort of get into
1: it in costume.
0: Yeah. -hmm. So, it's this really... I I found that it's this really weird little pocket of, of pop culture, you know, like, of this this whole world you know you see different different sides of people pop out at the come out with these things and it's it's an interesting experience especially comic-con because i mean uh, san diego I mean, going just from going from like boston to san diego there's just a magnitude of different types of people you see and also like it's not all nerds like it san diego there are girls that go there just to get beautiful they, west it, coast yeah. people yeah they they know that hey if i I don't I have no idea how they get into the convention, or you know, like why they're willing to pay the hundreds of dollars to get into the convention. But I mean, like, I mean, it's people that go there just to get looked at and just to get attention in this. Yeah, be careful. You're, you're,
2: you're treading on on worrisome stereotypical <laughs> waters there. I mean, I, I know I do understand what you're talking about, and there I are do too. There, there is definitely a contingent of people who are like that. Right. But um, all I'm its saying, one thing—it's one thing that pisses female nerds off to no end when people kind of question their authenticity just because they happen to be attractive. Like
0: true. And I—I didn't—I didn't mean to say. It. Let me back up a little bit. I don't—I don't, I don't right. want to go onto those that stereotypical thin ice. All I'm saying. Was, the only point that i wanted to make was that the misconception is that most of the people that go to comic like all of the people that go to comic-con are nerds and really they're antisocial types and that's not necessarily you know that, that's not true and you get at these bigger conventions you're getting a bunch of different people going mm-hmm. than be- more than before
2: yeah i mean like nobody can say they like batman and automatically be called a nerd anymore like that yeah. just doesn't happen and there are Obviously, like, millions and millions and millions of people who love Batman. But, you know, I I do want to switch gears a little bit, because I do think this has been an interesting conversation. But I want to talk just a little bit more about the industry versus kind of communal grassroots effort here. And, you know, I'm looking at the Boston Comic Con website right now. And, you know it's it's a relatively straightforward home page you've got your, your kind of hero imagery at the very top and then sub features beneath it and all of the hero stuff at the top is dedicated to television actors and actresses and you know some of them are people who are being quoted for being on shows that they haven't been on in years you know I love all these people I I, would, I do not want to dismiss them but you know we've got James Marsters from Buffy the Vampire Slayer so. yeah I, I love by the way I love James Marsters. To death. I really love him doing Harry Dresden on all of the audiobooks. He's freaking amazing. But Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a long time ago. Jason Moma on Game of Thrones, who died in season one, and is still trying to milk it. <laughs> you know, again, uh, Jason Momoa. I'm cool sorry. Guy. I really like his. Cruel work. Laugh, but uh, I, think I know what you're saying. Yeah, but beneath that, they've got Amanda Connor, Scott Snyder, and like even beneath that, the, the, the tier below the third level feature, it's Greg Capullo and Adam, Adam Kubert, like. Mark Wade, really, really, really big name comic people who are yeah. pushed beneath the like <laughs>
0: John. Yeah, the
2: the people from television, you know, got guy who was on Doctor Who seven years ago. Again, John Barrowman's awesome. I'm not trying to dismiss him, but yeah. it's like this is Comic Con. Like Greg Capullo is a big fucking deal. Maybe he should be in that spot, and I. I I don't know if I can blame this sort of thing on convention organizers or audience behavior. I,
0: I, I think, it, I mean, a lot of people show up to see celebrities. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's just sort of the way it is. You know, like people want to see, I mean, they, it doesn't really matter. I, I don't think it matters how long ago that particular actor was on the show. But it's a huge draw. I mean, unfortunately, as unjust as it may be. It's more of a... You know, like, Jason Moma is more of a... You know, maybe more of a draw than... Like, should it be,
2: one. though? I mean, as in... As in, should... If the price of expanding these is saturating them with stuff that really isn't as true well, to what, they're, what they are... Like, I mean, again, this is Comic-Con. Then should yeah. it get bigger? Will it become less sincere? I, don't, I
0: mean, this is something... I mean, this is something that doesn't really bother me. I mean, but mainly because Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo are still going to be there. I mean that's what I care about. That's what I'm going there for. That's I'm not going to see Jason. I don't care. I mean if you if it doesn't really bother me that they are choosing to make these celebrity appearances mm-hmm. you know more of a marketing thing. I mean it doesn't bother me. I mean if that if that means that more people show up and it becomes a bigger event that gets more attention, that's cool with me. I mean because, I mean, a lot of these people, like, let's say you, you get a, a reasonable amount of people that are going to the conventions just to see celebrities. Mm. I mean, that means that they're still walking by the comics. I mean, it, mm. it may, mm. you know, it may get them, it may turn more attention to comic book related things or it may grow the industry as a whole, you know. So, I don't know. It's it's all good. I mean, that's, that's how I feel about it.
1: I might disagree a little bit there th- because... Part of what we haven't really got at is like what Jeff is just describing about this celebrity slate of people who may not have viable careers anymore in terms of if it's acting. It, it, the acting, the actors uh, and actresses are usually like sort of the celebrity sort of draws. But I don't know. The whole thing smacks of a kind of sadness for me, and makes it kind of awkward what? like i don't i don't think like jason moma uh i don't I, do you really think he gives like a flying fuck about game of thrones like mm-hmm. i think he's there for like the paycheck it, it's evident like in every interview he does he doesn't read the books i don't know he doesn't have a, a big concern for like the fans as far as as far as i know it and and like that sort of culture that feels very pronounced at these things
2: right but let's let i mean let's talk about it conceptually also from the the standpoint of like san diego comic-con when they had their game of thrones panel and it was you know season one right momo was there but they had peter dinklage they had right um, they had
0: the entire cast yeah exactly
2: like conceptually you you would never suggest that that was you know quote-unquote sad for the same reason conceptually right. it's still like the big draw of all these actors from the show instead of it being you know a comic creator or something right. like that what do you think about that sort of thing
1: what you mean like when it's very high profile
2: yeah like it's sa- same same concept it's very high profile but it's, when it's, it's when, it, when, when it
1: when it feels know. like like very current and very high profile and it usually happens in like san diego or new york whatever mm-hmm. i think that's I don't know. I think that's more okay. I mean, it may makes maybe well, that makes me a bad person, but I think I don't think
2: it makes like, a bad person.
1: <laughs> well, no. I mean, I mean, like my, my thing is like, what does Jason Momoa have to say about Game of Thrones anymore that hasn't been well uh, documented? You know, over hours and hours of these kind of things, like he's clearly like riding, no pun intended there. Riding like some kind of, you know, wave of that nostalgia train that just flows through these conventions. I don't know. Uh, and it makes me uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> well, I think there's a distinction that has to be made here. Like in San Diego, when there's a Game of Thrones panel, it's the entire cat or the vast majority of the cast of the show and the, the writers, right? you know, giving a presentation and showing stuff early and taking questions. But like in Boston Comic Con when Jason Moma shows up, he is at an autograph table signing, you know, headshots and things like that. And there's no obviously he's off the show, he's not giving any information. But, you know, like when Boston Comic Con or any other like smaller city convention markets these people, I mean like it's it's different cuz it's it's mainly just autographs and maybe photo ops, you know? So it is a little bit more I mean, I think that part is kind of sad. Because basically, the, you know, sad for the actors, you know? Yeah. I mean, this yeah, is no. like, this is what they have to do to make money, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah
2: I mean, it does say on the website that, they, that the autographs are basically being sold. Yeah. yeah. They're 30, 30 to $40 per autograph, which is absurd.
0: Well. Yeah. It's ju- well, it's and- just,
2: there's, no other, there's no other way around it. That, that is an absurd thing to do.
0: Actually, at the Mimico booth a couple years ago, we had Billy D. Williams do a signing at our booth. The Billy D. Williams? The Billy D. Williams. Way to bury the lead, man. (laughs) But basically, it was that type of situation. Our company paid a substantial amount of money to get Billy D. Williams at the booth, and he basically set up a table, and there were all these different headshots that you could buy, and like it was. I don't even remember what it was. It was like $20 to sign, $20 or $30 to sign a picture. And then it was like $50 to sign a personal item. But I mean, the whole time, I like, all I could think was, I mean, it was cool that Billy D. Williams was there, but the whole time I was like, this is so sad. Like,
2: yeah. Lando
0: Cal Rizzi, like, he's. There this is, is what i mean gonna, this you is could so tell, like ugh. i could tell he did not want to be there it, it was basically like they had to sneak him in i mean there's like a whole back entrance where the celebrities come in you know he was there he was there for the the hour that we paid for and and then after that it was like group he gets whisked off and you know i i think that that's the case for a lot of these actors that show up
2: well wow, i'm all depressed now yeah,
0: this yeah. is like one of the more depressing <laughs> topics
2: got it, to actually got confront. This maybe we Wait. should maybe we should maybe we should wrap this one up <laughs> make, make ourselves feel better. Jesus, Man. this is the this is the first time on Tisbee I've ever been like sad, sad tipsy. <laughs> like yeah. I'm almost always just like happy drunk when we do these, but now I'm like, God, what is Billy yeah. D. Williams' life become? Well, uh, isn't
1: doesn't also John? Just very quickly, doesn't your resentment sort of build when you realize like people who are who are paying Billy Dee Williams or any of these these actors like are not aware or yeah. sensitive to the situation? Like
0: yeah. they
1: are fueling this. Like it's not them. And it, they're not they're not like calling like Boston Comic Con and like you
0: better put me on
1: the list. Like they're like resigned to this because they know oh, that these people, people get, are going like, to they get Same so excited colors. and i mean that's that's what i mean there's that lack of self-awareness at these things yeah i think and that's the, the best way to put
0: it and i i never i mean i don't know i don't get the whole autograph thing
2: well here the, remember earlier i was talking about someone who admires something versus someone who loves something right like if you really love something like if you really love star wars and i mean love it yeah you you'd be like fucking sweet billy d williams you yeah. know if you admire it you'd be like hey it's that guy who portrayed lando calrissian yeah. 35 years ago there's that
1: human being
2: yeah
0: uh yeah well i mean that's that's basically how i mean that's basically how i feel i wouldn't want to wait in a line to get his autograph but i mean that's <laughs> that's where my
2: right so you you would you would you admire it and you'd be yeah. like this guy was a part of this thing that i admire but yeah i can still rationally understand the situation here and be a little weirded out by it yeah. versus someone who would be I'm like billy conscious. d williams yeah um uh
0: but i'll end on will end i'll end on a high note and say that what i love about the whole convention atmosphere is that when you are there it's mostly just a positive i mean everybody is excited to be there mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of negativity the whole negative hateful mm-hmm. nature of the internet is just completely 100 percent absent at a convention everybody there loves is very enthusiastic about something and it's just it's it's a very good place to be it still feels a little bit like like when i go to san diego it's just like disney world man Mm -hmm. it's all good
2: and i will say i haven't even talked about it that much but you know whenever i go to pax east i love it i genuinely have a great time anytime i go to that thing and i will say also that there is that environment of positivity where all the people who are there generally seem to just be having such a good time and being happy to celebrate you know granted i talked earlier about how mainstream all this stuff is becoming but you know these are hobbies that used to be stigmatized very heavily and in some cases still are obviously Mm -hmm. you know that's a misguided feeling for someone to have but you know this is about people coming together and forgetting about shame you know, and just being totally. like, you know what, fuck it, we we love this stuff. I definitely appreciate that stuff. For me, the only thing that turns me off from conventions, frankly, is just the uh, when the industry stuff is too heavy-handed. I'm just like, I I no, I I don't want this free bag of swag <laughs> filled. You know, I I I, wow. I, I guess Dude, I'll take like the thirty the swag, the thirty magic cards that I could use to play with my friend while we're waiting in line. But I don't need like you know, a free hour of Rift online, or, um, you know, enter this code to get, like, a bobblehead in my Facebook or something, you know? So anyway, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up our discussion of conventions. <laughs> so it's been a real, a real downer,
0: but, uh, Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, we'll, 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 <laughs> we'll
2: be back with, uh, with our Geek of the Week, which hopefully will be much more positive. Yes. Uh, <laughs> did I tell you guys, that, like, pet died she's not dead
0: Uh. dead. alright we'll BRB comic con time for the fates of the Hollywood big brass to be decided by guys dressed like kick ass zing it's another comic
2: con
0: softly sleeping studio heads waking suddenly from their beds desperately screaming in a sweat Who do we pander to for cred? You! At another
2: Comic-Con!
0: Dude! You know, with great power comes a big-ass Comic-Con! Four days when all of the media outlets try to pretend they've always cared about us. Boom! It's another
2: Comic-Con! And we're back, and I now have myself a cough drop, and we are gonna wrap this episode up the same way we wrap up every episode of This Is Serious Business, and that is with our Geek of the Week segment, where we talk about things we've been watching, reading, doing, or playing over the past few weeks. So let's start with Rob on that one.
1: Ooh, Rob, (laughs) I've been debating. Upbeat
2: thing. Have you been up to (laughs) lately? Upbeat thing.
1: Not many. I actually took the plunge into some new comics this last week because it just seemed like my weekly or monthly pull list was sort of dwindling, things were ending, or I just lost interest in a couple of things. So I, I started up some new series. But I'm not gonna talk about that. Because we always talk about comics and like these big properties that don't don't really need additional help in terms of marketplace awareness. So I'm gonna talk about this this movie, this short film that actually made the rounds. This week. I'd actually seen it before, but I was reminded of it this past week. It sort of made the rounds on Twitter, I guess. It's called Lights Out. It's on Vimeo. Uh, If you search Lights Out on Vimeo, it comes up. Apparently, it won a short horror movie festival called Who's There. It's less than three minutes long, and it's about this woman who's going to bed for the night and uh, encounters some strange things on her way to fall asleep and um it's one of the most like effective and like economic use of like space and light and is a really very scary and creepy and uh less than three minutes i think that that qualifies for most people's attention span so if you're a fan of horror i just want to be scared shitless in your cubicle for the day check out lights out on vimeo let me see if i can shout out the directors okay the director's name is david sandberg uh i imagine we can throw
2: we can throw a link to that we can throw a link yeah
1: yeah and we'll i'll throw it up on the twitter and all that so uh it's uh it's very it's good it's very good
2: cool well that was not upbeat at all rob (laughs) it was not (laughs) upbeat at all sorry you monster (laughs) so that said let's move on to john John,
0: uh, what have you been up to lately? I'm not as obscure and cool as Rob. I've, <laughs> I have to Aww. mention comics this week. It was in some news a little bit, but the Superior Spider-Man is ending. And it's a big coincidence, but in time with the release of the Amazing Spider-Man 2 movie... The amazing Spider-Man comics are now starting up again and Peter Parker is now Spider-Man. He's uh, Spider-Man once again. He's regained his control of his own body and Doc Ock is officially dead now. But he's it was dead? a yeah, he he basically gave Peter Parker his own body back and he just like sort of, I don't know, his oh. consciousness disappeared into nothingness. It, it was just sort of erased essentially. I see. That's a bummer. But uh, this, it was pretty good. I mean, it ended on a pretty strong note. It was uh, basically a big confrontation with the the Green Goblin. The story arc was called the Goblin Nation, where there's basically like a whole gang of of goblins that have taken over New York City, and Spider Man has to defeat them. And you know, by the end of it, Peter Parker has become Spider Man again. He defeats the Green Goblin, and then it sort of sets up the new. Amazing Spider-Man comic book series, which starts this coming week, this Wednesday. So, very excited for that.
2: Well, I refuse to believe that all that timing is a coincidence. <laughs> 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 I'm a cynical I... monster, Jeff. But there may have been some intention behind <laughs> the decision to uh, to start that comic also, again.
0: Another, another weird coincidence. I think Electro <laughs> is actually going be the first villain. What lightsaw? That's so. I thought that was. I thought that was funny
2: unbelievable
0: that a big coincidence
2: <laughs> cool well thank you for sharing john i'm going to try to get through this geek of the week without descending into a coughing fit is uh, unfortunately my body is uh, attempting to betray me <laughs> one of the things that i have discovered while sick is a game called age of wonders 3 which i got a hold of on steam and it has helped me pass the sick time quite well basically it's like a mix of of civilization and Warhammer. You play out scenarios that are either story-based or narrative-driven or just multiplayer kind of custom scenarios where you are some sort of hero from a fantasy race. You can pick elves, goblins, I've seen draconians, kind of little dragon people, orcs, uh, the usuals, and uh, humans, of course. You know, your hero is a, a special kind of unit, You can basically construct cities and build other units that you can combine into armies that you can march around the map, build more cities, gain more resources, etc. You can engage your armies against your opponent's armies, and those fights play out on hex-based maps, much like a Warhammer battle. You know, you'll have a unit of archers or a unit of swordsmen or a unit of cavalry or a special spellcaster unit, and you can move them around and, uh, in a turn-based fashion, basically have them do certain things. And it's a hell of a lot of fun. It has that same sort of just one more turn appeal that the Civilization Oof. games have, where you're like, well, I just won that battle. Oh, I'm sure I could save and quit, but you know what? I'll just, I'll just fight one one more battle. One more battle. Couldn't wait. <laughs> and like two hours later, you're like, oh, wow, it's 2 a.m. And then you're like, well, you know, before going to bed at 2 a.m., I might as well build this other city and I just want to get the city up on its feet. I don't, it doesn't need you know, I'll set up, I'll set up a few structures, you know, maybe, maybe a library, maybe a nice uh, archives Maybe, maybe a little bit of research, that sort of thing. Oh, fuck, it's 7 a.m. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's one of those games. But I've been enjoying it immensely. The narrative stuff actually isn't that bad. You know, it's certainly not groundbreaking fiction, but it's executed pretty well. But it does also have that kind of replayable appeal of just, you know, set up a game even without the narrative stuff and, uh, you know, play against the computer or multiplayer. I haven't tried multiplayer. I don't know if I will because... It does seem like one of those games that lasts a good eight hours if you want to play against another actual human being uh, because there's so many different little things going on. But yeah, I like it. Would endorse it. It's on Steam. I think it's either $30 or $40, so relatively affordable. I'm sure the price will go down. I'm sure it'll go on sale during their their usual big sales, so uh, keep an eye out for it. All right, so at this point, I want to give you guys an opportunity to make any shout-outs and to let people know where they can find you online. Let's start with John. John, any shout-outs?
0: No shout-outs, I don't think, this week, uh, but you can find me on Twitter at DrawTheStory.
2: All righty, let's move on to Rob.
1: You can find me on Twitter at HeroesAreBoring.
2: Cool, you can find me on Twitter at TisBjeff, that's T-I-S-B-J-E-F-F, and uh, you can find this podcast website on the internet. At along with links to our awesome Tumblr, our Facebook, all our other stuff. You guys know this is our 99th episode?
1: Someone did mention it. I, think. Uh, yes. I, I might have mentioned it. <laughs> I was aware <laughs> of, of, the, yeah, of that. Email.
2: So That's that, that's a lot. That's that a means lot our excited. next our next episode is our one hundredth episode. Yeah. That is that is how numbers work, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Typically. So we got we got a few fun things uh, in store for episode 100 of Tisby, so do tune in next week. And, as always, I have absolutely no idea how to end this episode.
1: Was that uh, the sound of Dr. Octopus dying? <laughs>
2: God, how did he die in Spider-Man 2 again?
1: Uh, he died under that, like, fusion reactor.
2: Yeah, but doesn't he have, like, a moment?
1: Like, yeah, he, he says... I will not
2: die a monster. I will not Mm. die a monster. And then there's that like sad shot of him in the water or something. Yeah,
1: which is like the most disappointing thing, like a villain that has spent like 50 years being a monster on page to say on screen.
2: Oh, whatever. (laughs) Comic book Doc Ock sucked.
1: Oh, come on. Oh, we had this discussion
2: before. Come on, he was like a a goofy looking bowl cut sort of 70s style like, I'm going to rob a bank. With my mind! I don't know.
1: He was not robbing banks with his mind.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I kind of like the more... I don't want to say goofy, but I, I like the over-the-top, crazy, outcast yeah, version of the comics. He's not the villain
1: you choose to humanize. You don't want him reading poetry to his wife. Like, come
0: on. Get real. Yeah, he's, he's actually very much like the Penguin. Yes, sort exactly. Of, like, you know, he's a... Uh,
2: they humanized the penguin in the movies, too. He, oh. ju- he just wanted a glass of ice water. <laughs> a, to- a tall, cool drink. of Some ice water.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, You know what? Someone brought up, I forgot who it was, but said that Batman Returns was, like, the worst Batman movie. And I was like, you got to be kidding me, man. Yeah, it's, like, totally the great. best one after the Nolan ones for me.
2: Yeah, I agree. Mostly,
1: mostly because of DeVito, I think. He's just so funny. He just yeah. freaking
2: awesome in those movies. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. I think that one gets a bad
1: rap for sure.
2: D- does it? Uh, you know, it's funny. That's the first I'm really hearing of it. I've heard... No, yeah, I've, I've, p-
1: heard, I've heard Returns hate before. It's it's out there.
2: That's so weird.
0: Yeah. yeah. Man, it's the same thing. It's, it's too dark, and it's not about Batman, and oh, people don't like the Penguin.
2: That was the first Batman... That was like the first PG-13 movie I think I ever saw. I was like 7 or 8. I don't know. I don't remember how old I was. But, wow. But yeah, uh, that movie has a special place in my heart. I remember being really weirded out by her kissing him with the taser. That was, some, <laughs> that was something that like 8-year-olds do yeah, not weird. understand <laughs> That was weird as a
0: kid. Yeah. I forgot it was about a that. very
2: weird scene as a small child.
1: Do you know that... Originally, that was supposed to turn that character into Two-Face.
0: Huh.
1: Yeah. And then a Two-Face would have been the villain in the next film, which he was, but they kept recasting. And to bring it all back, did you know they had to buy Billy Dee Williams out of his contract? Yeah. Huh. For the Harvey Dent.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I- that I-
1: he made like a ton of money off of that because I think he only signed on to do it because they promised him he would be Two-Face in the sequel.
2: Mm, Billy D. Williams, man.
1: Billy D. Williams. The one and only. Yeah, I did not expect that to go that way.
2: (laughs) There were feelings, man.
0: Yeah, there were.
1: This is serious business.
0: Yeah, that was a good one.